0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Good morning Church. This morning I'll be bringing our Bible reading from 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. This means when we read it, as I'm about to do, we are hearing God speak to us. I'll be reading from the CSB version today. I'd encourage you to follow along in your Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from youngest to oldest. They had killed no one, but had carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinom the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position, because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to the priest Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him, and David asked the Lord, Should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? The Lord replied to him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. So David and the six hundred men with him went. They came to the Wadi Besor, where some stayed behind. David and four hundred of the men continued the pursuit, while two hundred stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Besor. David's men found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Then they gave him some pressed figs and two clusters of raisins. After he ate, he revived, for he hadn't eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, Who do you belong to? Where are you from? I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the Karathites, the territory of Judah, and the south country of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David then asked him, Will you lead me to these raiders? He said, Swear to me by God that you won't kill me or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led him. And there were the Amalekites, spread out over the entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped except 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing, from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters, and all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, which were driven ahead of the other livestock, and the people shouted, This is David's plunder. When David came to the two hundred men, who had been too exhausted to go with him and had been left at the Wadi Besor, They came out to meet him, and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued, Because they didn't go with us, we will not give any of the plunder we recovered to them, except for each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But David said, My brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and an ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent gifts to those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, and in Jattah; to those in Aurora, in Sifmoth, and in Eshtimoah, to those in Rakel, in the towns of the Jeramalites, and in the towns of the Kenites, to those in Hormah, in Baratian, and in Athak, to those in Hebron, and to those in all the places where David and his men had roamed.
1: Well, I wonder how you face a world that is harsh, broken, and chaotic. It's hard to live here, isn't it? War competition can be intense and sometimes brutal. Family and friendships can be filled with drama and strain. Then there's the other stuff, like crime, like disease, and rising costs. And in response to these things, we tend to go one of two ways. Some of us try to make ourselves stronger. Isn't the cultural message that we've adopted subconsciously that only the strong survive? So we better become strong. When I was young, we were living in the US, uh, and my father was studying there. And it was really difficult for us, financially. Uh, Dad had to study in a foreign language, and he had to pay the bills for a young family. To his credit, he rose to the task. He would wake up at 4 a.m. to deliver newspapers, study all day, and then at night, he would deliver pizzas. He worked so hard to provide for his family. However, and I spoke to him frankly about this a few years ago, we had a good chat, he was also harsh at times. He was strict with obedience and discipline and would push us towards good grades and a strong work ethic. He was hard on me and my brother, on us. Now part of me knows it must have been from all the stress of moving to a new country and navigating life in a foreign land. And I never asked him this, but I do wonder if on one level, out of love, he was also hard on us because he wanted to make us strong. He wanted to make us strong enough to face this world that he's found harsh. See, sometimes being made strong enough to face the world makes us as harsh as it as well. On the other hand, we can go the other way. We can try to push back on the way this world operates and be kind instead. We fight harshness with kindness. Uh, the phrase is, because uh, be kind to everyone, because everyone is facing a difficult battle. Let's not exacerbate the chaos of this world, let's be kind instead. But sometimes our kindness doesn't change much, does it? Rather than countering the world's harshness, through our kindness, sometimes, we enable it. We let people hurt, sin, and abuse in our attempt to be kind, gentle, and forgiving. Our kindness is often too weak. Now the question is, are these our only two options when it comes to life? To either be strong and harsh or kind and weak? Now I would argue that without God, those are our only two options. Because without God, the only thing we can look to in order to face this big, bad world is ourselves. And we are only human. Our strength is never strong enough. And because our strength is all that we can rely on, then we have to despise weakness. Weakness in others and weakness in ourselves. Because if others are weak, then they are burdens. Which means we'll have to carry their load, while we can barely carry our own. So, we resent people for being weak. And ironically, we resent our own weakness too. Because our great fear, if we rely on our own strength, is that we are also A burden to others. You see if you don't have a strength beyond yourself then there is no space for compassion. And so we become as harsh as the world we live in. And as humans our kindness is not good enough either because our kindness is often not out of love but out of fear. It's a coping mechanism a way we protect ourselves. Through our kindness, we appeal to to people's pity and compassion so that they won't harm us. See, the only way we can face this world in strength and kindness is by following and submitting to a king who is both. And in this chapter, we find such a king in David. This chapter is a return to form for David. He returns to God. He rescues his people and he restores everything in strength and kindness. And in so doing, he shows how fit he is to be God's king. We'll explore the story under three points. The robbery, the rescue, and the restoration. Let's start. Now, following on from last week, God spares David from joining the great Philistine-Israel battle. And he's now returned home only to find that his house was broken into. Verses 1 to 3, the Amalekites attacked and burned Ziklag and kidnapped their wives, sons, and daughters. Can you imagine returning to your homes today from church only to have Everything destroyed and taken away. Uh, A few weeks ago, we were at the Reach Australia conference with the staff team in Central Coast. And when we came back, we came back to our home that was broken into. Uh, They broke our front door and ransacked our rooms and they took some of our stuff. And just the realization that people would come to our house and do such a thing, it's so destabilizing. We were deprived of our treasures. We wept over the violation of our privacy. Our home, the one place where we were supposed to feel safe, became unsafe. But despite all this, we're thankful that we still had each other. Thankfully, my real treasures, Grace and Judah, came with me to the conference, so they were unharmed. But that wasn't the case for David and his people here. Look at what David and his people lost. Everything was burned to the ground. Worse, their wives, sons, and daughters were kidnapped. They lost their homes, their treasures, and their family. Understandably, they wept. Verse 4 says, they wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep, as you would if you lost everything. And this part of the story reminds me of the tragedy of Job. While Job was living his life, just one day, he loses his treasure, his cattle, his children. And that's what's happening to David and his men. One day coming home, they lose their homes, their wealth, and their family. Of course, they'd weep loudly until they had no strength left. And we may not yet know what it's like to lose everything, But we know the weeping that comes from losing something that feels like everything. When we lose that relationship, when we lose that one thing that our identity hangs on, be it career, kids, or ministry, in a very real sense, it feels like we've lost everything. And when we get to that state, like it was with David's troops, we can turn in anger. At the person we consider responsible. We need someone to blame it all on. Look at verse 6. The troops talked about stoning him for they were bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. They were angry at David because as their leader and king they looked to him for protection. He was the one that was supposed to protect them and their families to keep them safe. How could he let something like this happen? And we get angry too, right? When something bad happens on someone else's watch. We get angry at our parents for not shielding us from certain trauma. We get angry at our boss for not managing this crisis at work well. We get angry at God for not protecting us from so much pain and suffering when it is fully within his power to do so. We get angry. Because we're not strong enough to face the evils and brokenness of this world. And we're disappointed when we find out those who lead us can't either. And sometimes we're angry because in honesty, we're weak and afraid. And we don't know who we can turn to. But David knew. Look at verses 6 to 8. David found strength in the Lord his God. He asked his priests to bring him the ephod, and he asked the Lord whether he should pursue the raiders. Now, this is a return to form for David. Last week, back in chapter 27, David didn't ask the Lord what he should do. He asked himself, and he relied on himself. Now he is back. The David who delivered Israel and Keilah is back. Not because he became better, faster, or stronger in any way, but because he returned to the Lord. He found his strength in the Lord. He prayed to God about what he should do, and the Lord answered him, Pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. See, David's rescue mission didn't start with his own initiative, but with prayer on his knees. And it's not like he was being passive or unsure about what he wants to do. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to pursue these guys. But he's just aware that without God, his efforts would be for naught. Because his strength is not from himself, but from the Lord. So he had to be in sync with God in his mission. But he didn't stay on his knees. He got up and did what he was called to do. So David goes on a mission to recover everything that was lost. And as he goes about his mission, we see what kind of king he is. We see that he's a kind king. Look at verses 9 to 10. Two hundred men stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Besor. And David actually let them stop and rest. This is in contrast to Saul, who in chapter 14 forced his men to fast, to not eat, and chase his enemies until they were exhausted. Now, why could David be this kind? He lost 200 men out of 600 men. That's a third of his men. Would you do that? He probably didn't know how many Amalekites were out there. And 600 men is not a lot of people. You cut that down to 400, he has less than 500. And he wants to pursue raiders who have his wives and children? Are you serious? If my wife and child went missing and I had men under my command, nobody is going to rest until I have them back. I need every man possible to fight for me. Why was David able to show kindness in such a crisis and let those who were tired rest, weakening his own army. Why? Because David has returned to God. David, the champion who defeated Goliath, is back. He believes once again that it is not by sword nor by spear, but it is the Lord who saves. David could go without 200 men because his strength is not in sword or spear, but in the Lord. The Lord is the only person he needs for this mission to succeed. Because David's strength is in the Lord, David can be kind and interestingly, it is his kindness that actually led him to the raiders. Look at verses 11 to 15. They find an Egyptian, a foreigner and a slave. How does David treat a foreigner and a slave? He feeds him. He gives him water. He certainly doesn't treat him like a slave at all. He gives him pressed figs and two clusters of raisins. That's effectively dessert. He's effectively giving him a three-course meal. And in God's providence, the Egyptian he feeds was a former slave of his enemy. An enemy who, unlike David, abandoned his slave when he got exhausted. And from that, he could find the raiders. And this is where we see his strength. David found the Amalekites and killed them. He fought them from twilight until evening the next day. And his victory against the Amalekites appears complete. There's this weird line in verse 17. None of them escaped except 400 young men. I don't know about you, but initially when I read this, I was like, if 400 men escaped, that doesn't sound like none of them escaped. (laughs) Uh, There are probably two reasons, uh, possible reasons. The Hebrew word uh, na'ar, young men there. Uh, also, could mean boy or youth or teenager. So it could be saying that none of his fighting men escaped. The the people who did escape were young boys who weren't ready to fight. But another way that the text could be saying the, another thing that the text could be saying is that four hundred is such a negligible amount for an army that it's basically the same as having the whole army gone. It's like if Elon Musk were to lose his two hundred billion dollars of wealth today, and he says, none is left except $400 in my bank account. You can understand why he's saying none is left, given what he had. And so it was for the Amalekites. The amount was so negligible for the Amalekite army, Oh, sorry, of course the great irony of this Is 400 men, an amount that's so negligible for the Amalekite army, is actually the exact amount of men that David went into battle with. It's as if the strength of David's army didn't matter because the Lord is his strength. So David victoriously triumphed over Israel's enemy. What did he do with this victory? Well, there was a restoration of what was lost. Nothing was lost. Look at verses 18 to 20. There's a complete recovery. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from youngest to oldest, including the sons and daughters, including all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. Everything that was lost was restored. And the people shouted, this is David's plunder. It's acknowledging what David did. Everything that was restored belongs to David because David was the one who fought and won for them. But this recovery didn't just extend to the men who fought with him. Look at verses 21 to 22. Some of the troops that fought with David didn't want to share their plunder with the men that were too exhausted to fight. They begrudged them. Just take your wife and your children, but the plunder is ours. You don't deserve it. It makes sense, though, right? They were the ones that pursued the Amalekites. They were the ones that fought them until twilight, until evening the next day. Like, these warriors must be exhausted. They risked their lives. They probably got wounded in battle. They won the war, and in fairness, they should reap the rewards. The other men were just waiting by the supplies. But in a sense, these men, though they were strong, they're harsh, aren't they? The Bible had some very strong words to describe them. It says they were all corrupt and worthless. Very strong words. These men fought and defeated the Amalekites. Now they just want to enjoy their rewards. Why were they corrupt and worthless? David's response may give us a clue. Look at verse 23. You must not do this with what the Lord has given us. The Lord is the one who protected them. The Lord is the one who fought their battle. The Lord is the one who kept every single wife and child safe such that none was lost. Did David and his men fight? Yes. But David isn't deluded. He knows the strength he had with 400 men. It was probably the equivalent of him facing Goliath. He knew that battle was won by the Lord. And he and his men didn't earn it in any way. So it's corrupt and worthless to act like they did. It's corrupt and worthless not to share the plunder with the men who stayed back with the supplies. And not only did he encourage them to share it with the others, David flexes his kingship here by making it a law and ordinance for all of Israel. He effectively institutes Grace as law. No matter who enters the battle, the the plunder will be shared because it is the Lord who gives us the victory. But that's not all that David does. Look at verses 26 to 31. When he returns to Ziklag, he gives his plunder away. He gives it to the friends and elders around Judah. He gives his plunder to the people of God. It says he gives his plunder to those in all the places where David and his men had roamed. Every place that had him while he was fleeing, he gives gifts. And this is in contrast to what Samuel says a king like other nations would do. Do you remember 1 Samuel chapter 8? These are all of the things that a king can take. He can take your sons and your daughters. He can take your best fields, your vineyards, and your orchards. He can take a tenth of your grain. He can take your male and female servants, your best cattle. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves he can take to become his servants. See, a king like other nations takes and takes and takes. But David is not a king like other nations. David is a king who gives. David is a king like his God. This is the last chapter in 1 Samuel that talks about David. And it ends on a high, doesn't it? Despite everything he's gone through, David is shaping up to be fit for kingship. He turns to the Lord, he hears from the Lord, and he fights for the Lord. He is a king that rescues and restores in strength and kindness. He is strong enough to defeat Israel's enemies, but kind enough to comfort those who are weary and weak. What an excellent king. This is the best of David. However, even David at his best has his limits doesn't he? See, there's something finite and temporary about his victory here. He defeats the Amalekites in this chapter, but in the next chapter, Israel's other enemy, the Philistines, defeat them. David's victory is limited. And he restores the wealth and the family of his people But as we see from their grumbling against those who stayed, he cannot restore their hearts. As great as this chapter is, we need a victory greater than a victory over Raiders. We need a restoration deeper than material wealth and people. We need a gift that can satisfy a hunger more substantial than food. We need a greater king, and we find that king in Jesus. See, when humanity was deceived by Satan and we fell into sin, we were robbed. We were deprived of a good creation, and now we have to live in a broken world. But more than that, we were deprived of our greatest treasure. Our relationship with God. Sin separated us from him, like David and his troops were separated from their wives and children. And in our sin, we wept. And we became angry. and We fought against each other, causing this world to go more fully into chaos. In desperate need of a king, God sent his son Jesus Christ to rescue us. And Jesus was on his knees every morning, praying to God the Father. And Jesus was on mission with only 12 men to save us. And so he did. He did so in the strongest and kindest act possible, by going to the cross. See, the cross was Jesus' ultimate show of strength. He endured the full weight of the wrath of God, the full punishment for our sin. He fought the fight we could not fight to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. But the cross is also Jesus' ultimate show of kindness because he fought for us, he died for us while we were still sinners. He loved us while we were still corrupt and worthless. And he gave us salvation and eternal life freely. We are not asked to earn his love in the slightest. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift and his strength is such that death could not even hold him he rose again and is now seated at the right hand of the father now you may be here today and you're not a christian or maybe you're here but you 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 were a christian and you've kind of drifted away you may be thinking my sin is too great I am too much of a mess. I am beyond rescue or redemption. To this I say, do not underestimate the strength of Jesus Christ. Nothing is beyond his power. He can save and rescue the most broken and most ruined person and life. So come to him. Or you may be thinking, God will never have me. I've turned away from him too often. I've spurned his every kindness. To that I say, do not underestimate the kindness of Jesus Christ. He is willing to save even his worst enemies. And he would do so with open arms, full of joy and with love. You can come to him. He is strong enough to save you. And he is kind enough to want to. Now, how should we live for our king? Well, first, like David, we can pray confidently. Because our Lord is strong enough to answer our most hardest prayers. And he's kind enough to hear even our most trivial ones. So we can pray confidently. Second, like David's troops, we can join God's mission to rescue people from sin and death. Because our Lord is strong enough to rescue those with the hardest of hearts and kind enough to do so willingly. So we can evangelize courageously. And third, you can rest in the Lord when everything has been taken from you. You can rest when you are tired and weary and can't fight anymore. Christian, in Jesus, you don't have to be strong. You are not a burden to him when you are weary. Your weakness does not repulse him and your weakness will not make him leave you. In fact, your weakness is the reason he came. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, God, for your kindness to us, that you love us, that you saw our struggle and our our lostness in sin, and that you came to rescue us in your strength. You defeated all of our enemies, that we may be safe. And in your kindness, you look to us, even when we're tired, weak, and weary. Even when we can't cross the river to fight the battle. You let us rest. And in your generosity, you still give us the spoils of your victory. Thank you for your kindness to us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.